You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Noel Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. I know we are feeling like there's a punch in the gut to have to stand here today and come together once again. After fighting all of these years to get that right 50 years ago, and we're back to where we started. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Brooklyn Lambright reports on the fight for abortion rights vigil at the Monroe County Courthouse. This comes after the Indiana Supreme Court decided it was within the state's constitution to ban abortion. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. The Monroe County Commissioners met Wednesday, July 26, 2023. During the meeting, Health Administrator Lori Kelly presented on grant funding for local schools for the amount of $12,280. The Health Department will support local schools through the Cooperative Agreement for Emergency Response. The Monroe County Health Department um, opted to help support local schools through the COAG um, grant funding. The primary focus of this grant um, is to provide a school liaison to be able to um, work directly with the schools, provide support services, um, update communicable disease plans, um, ensure that all of the schools are up to date with their vaccination clinics. Uh, All the schools have the support that they need for vision and dental screening. Um, In addition, the um, schools, eight schools, chose to work directly with our school liaison and decided to submit project proposals for review. On July 20th, the Board of Health met and made recommendations as listed um, on the document. Dr. Sarah Ryderband spoke to the commissioners about the grant and the requests they received from the schools. I am on the Board of Health. I am a an appointment by the commissioners. And I'm not sure that what you've been given is truly reflective of the conversation. We've had multiple conversations in multiple months about these COAG grants and were very dismayed at what we were given from the schools who apparently did not understand that this is about preparedness for not if, but when we have a next pandemic or next major event that will affect all of the schools, but also the entire community. Uh, what What you see before you are the few things that we could pick out from any one of those proposals that seemed even reasonable. What I particularly struggle with was that it says that we suggested that two AEDs were appropriate for St. Charles. What we did talk about that is just like this building has an AED, that perhaps every school should have an AED. That makes sense. It makes sense that our school coordinator then would be able to train people in how to use that appropriately, that it wasn't a toy and it's not something that can be used without some training. Again, 
the things that we truly agreed on was that water filters are appropriate to refill water so that children aren't sucking on the watered fountains and that AEDs are appropriate. But a lot of these things are not necessarily appropriate. Had schools asked for perhaps HVAC filters for their systems rather than our replacing those systems, we could have gotten on board. But um, I'm not sure that what you see before you is truly reflective of what we believe is appropriate for the schools. And I would really want that done in conjunction with the school liaison, recognizing what are we missing in each of these schools and what is appropriate for their, and for their needs and for future preparation. Thank you. Commissioner Julie Thomas followed up on the request from the Seven Oaks School and said she was unsure what the next step should be on the motion. So when I listened to this meet the Board of, of Health meeting, they indicated that they felt, at least some of your colleagues um, indicated that they felt that this Seven Oaks uh, request for HEPA filters had some merit. Recording in progress. As well as the um, electrostatic foggers, um, that it felt like they were okay with two AEDs at St. Charles, I think because there are two, two separate buildings perhaps, I'm not sure about that, um, but they didn't feel that trauma kits were needed. Um, and there just wasn't a whole lot else that, that um, came through when, it was, <laughs> when I was listening to this. Yes, every, they felt like every school should have one bleed kit and one AED. Um, and I'm not sure how we make that possible. So um, I'm not sure where we go from here with this particular motion. Kelly explained the timeline they have to use the grant funding. This particular grant cycle has ended, but with this type of grant, uh, once the deliverables are met, these are our funds to retain and then spend as long as it's in alignment with the grant. The commissioners made a motion, which passed three to zero, to table the discussion of the grant for the next meeting. The next Monroe County Commissioner's meeting will be held on Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Brooklyn Lambright reports on the fight for abortion rights vigil at the Monroe County Courthouse. This comes after the Indiana Supreme Court decided it was within the state's constitution to ban abortion. We turn to Brooklyn Lambright for more. Indiana has the third highest maternal and infant mortality rate in the country. The United States as a whole ranks abysmally among other industrialized nations. We have no business forcing Hoosiers to be pregnant. You just heard the sound of last night's vigil. 
where nearly 80 Bloomington residents stood on the front lawn of the Monroe County Courthouse to express their frustration with Indiana's abortion ban. With signs held in the air saying, quote, keep abortion legal, residents mourned the loss of reproductive health care in Indiana. The event sponsored by Hoosier Jews for Choice, Indiana Now chapters and MAD voters brought together Hoosiers, abortion activists, and politicians statewide. In total, seven vigils were held across the state in cities like Fort Wayne and Valparaiso. Pro-choice Hoosiers are looking to make their voices heard as they prepare for Indiana's abortion ban to take effect. In 2022, the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the 1973 ruling which made abortion legal nationally. One month later, Indiana made waves as it became the first state to pass anti-abortion legislation. The bill made only a few exceptions, including cases of rape and incest up to 10 weeks post-fertilization and fatal fetus abnormalities that threaten a mother's life up to 20 weeks post-fertilization. But after one week of the bill being in effect, the ACLU of Indiana sued the state in two separate cases. In June 2023, the Indiana Supreme Court ruled on the first lawsuit, stating that Indiana's abortion ban is constitutional. Under the ban, only licensed hospitals may perform an abortion. Places like Planned Parenthood will no longer be able to offer abortion services in the state. A second lawsuit was filed against the state on behalf of Hoosier Jews for Choice and five anonymous women. They argue SB1 violates Indiana's Religious Freedom Restoration Act by establishing a statewide religion which acknowledges life beginning at conception. If Indiana's Supreme Court rules in favor of the lawsuit, women could apply for an abortion if they receive a religious exemption. As of last night's vigil, there is no new information on the second lawsuit. Amalia Shafris, a founding member of Hoosier Jews for Choice, said they are currently awaiting their hearing, which was moved from September of this year to December 2023. Uh, now, unfortunately, we wish we had more of a, an update for you on the legal case. Um, as a lot of you know, the injunction in the, the privacy law case was recently vacated, which is why uh, the law is taking effect tomorrow. The injunction in the Rifra case is still standing. And as of right now, we're not sure because we were classified as a class action suit, but we're not sure right now if it just applies to the plaintiffs, which is all members of Hoosier Jews for Choice. You can sign up today if you want. Uh, and for anonymous plaintiffs, um, or if it applies to the whole class action. That's what we're now not clear on. And our, our lawyers at the ACLU are currently trying to get clarity from the judge because it would be really great if it applied to the whole class. Um, but right now we're just not sure. And um, if you're on our mailing list, we'll keep you updated. If you follow our social media, we'll, we'll try and keep you updated on, on what's going on there. Right now our hearing is pushed to December instead of September. So we're just sort of uh, in the waiting game. Politicians from the city, county, and state level spoke at the vigil as well. Each provided updates on the work being done throughout Monroe County and the state to provide support for those seeking abortions. The president and District 2 representative for Bloomington's Common Council, Sue Scambarelli, said the city is working to provide funds for an emergency reproductive grant program. The Common Council will also continue to support all options and planned parenthood. Defending women's health means defending access to abortion, not just in theory, but in reality. So how have we done that? In October of 2022, we unanimously adopted Appropriation Ordinance 2204, and that specially appropriated funds for an emergency reproductive health care grant program of $100,000, specifically to address the impacts of Indiana's near-total abortion ban. 
and we stand by that decision. We also recognize that the hard work of this journey happens every single day in places like All Options, in places like Planned Parenthood. And we have actively supported them through the Jack Hopkins Social Service Funding Program. And if I have anything to do with it, and my colleagues do, that's going to continue. So. This work is not yet done. It takes advocacy, it takes clarity of focus, and it takes money. And we recognize those different roles, and we are privileged to be a part of that. And we are privileged to play a role in that. I'm grateful for a chance to be with you, and I just stand with you, and onward. We're not done. The President and District 3 Representative for the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, Penny Githens, said Monroe County is supplying funds to all options and Planned Parenthood as well. The Monroe County government has expanded their health insurance to support employees who need to leave the state to receive an abortion. Like the city, we have supplied funding to all options and to Planned Pregnancy. Par Planned Parenthood, sorry. Sometimes you plan your pregnancy as well. Um, through the Sophia Travis Fund. But at the county level, due to what the state has done with the municipal preemption law, we cannot enact our own legislation to allow abortions within the borders of our county. Our hands are tied. They're tied when it comes to gun safety. They're tied when it comes to abortion. They're tied when it comes to school funding. They're tied with, at so many levels. As we all know, people with financial means will travel out of state if they need to end a pregnancy. Those without funds will be forced to either continue their pregnancies or to seek an illegal abortion. As other local employers have done, Monroe County government has expanded the health insurance coverage we offer to employees and to their families to help pay for travel to another state if someone wishes to have a safe, legal abortion. 40th District State Senator Shelley Yoder said State House attorneys are unsure what will occur legally after SB1 takes effect. As of now, state hospitals are responsible for upholding the ban. If an abortion is performed illegally, doctors could lose their medical licenses. We needed answers. We deserve answers. We deserve to know what does it mean when SEA goes into SEA1 goes into full effect, most likely tomorrow. What does it mean? What do the religious protections mean? And so I made some calls, talked with our attorneys at the State House, and I was told, Senator Yoder, it is completely unclear. We do not know. The only people who will be able to figure this out will be the hospitals. The very ones whose professions and livelihoods are being criminalized, are holding whether or not abortion care will be able to access, will be able to be accessed in the most extreme cases. Now, when I was talking to the legal advisor on SEA1 when it goes into effect last week to get some answers, I said, what does 10 weeks look like? Well, she said, 10 weeks is based on and I said, if you tell me the first day of my last menstrual cycle, I am going to lose my mind. And in fact, that is the case. It is not the moment that the trauma occurred. 
But a person has to remember the first day of their last menstrual cycle in order to access their right to abortion care. And they have 10 weeks from that day. This is just a reminder of how little those who serve us in the state house understand reproductive health care. All options also discuss the Hoosier Abortion Fund at last night's vigil. Jess Marchbank, the state program director of All Options, says the abortion fund helps support and financially provide for Hoosiers who are looking to receive an out-of-state abortion. All Options is a national nonprofit organization that supports people through all their parenting, pregnancy, abortion, and adoption needs. And we do that with both a talk line that's a national talk line that supports people with peer counseling. Um, but here locally, we have the Hoosier Diaper Program, which just since January 1st, we have distributed over 140,000 diapers to local families in Bloomington and Monroe County. And um, then, of course, what we're here for tonight is to talk about the Hoosier Abortion Fund, which supports Hoosiers accessing abortion care. And we will continue to do that after the ban goes into effect. Um, it is perfectly legal and safe to seek abortion care in other states. So we have relationships with over 50 abortion care providers in other states, chiefly Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio, but other states as well. So we are well equipped to help Hoosiers seek care in other states. We can help pay for it. And we're also partnered with other organizations that can help with things like rides and childcare and hotel. So we don't want people to feel like they don't have options if they're facing an, a pregnancy that they that they don't want. So if someone wants to just find out what their options are if they're pregnant and in Indiana, they can call the Hoosier Abortion Fund or text at 812-727-4423. We even have an online application. All options will always be here to support Hoosiers and, and frankly people throughout anyone who can get pregnant. Um, Particularly, we want Hoosiers to know that we're going to be here to support them with diapers or with abortion funding or just with uh, judgment-free support and resources because it can be hard to Google for these things. If you Google, how do I get an abortion, you're just as likely to end up at a very <laughs> non-reputable site. So people can contact us if they just want to know what's up, what are my options, and we're non-coercive, we're non-judgmental and we're just here to support people. Community members in attendance expressed their concern and frustration with the passage of SB1. Here's what one Bloomington resident had to say. I mean, SB1 is, like so many people said today, just an absolute affront to our democracy and to women's rights and to human rights and to healthcare. And I think it's despicable. And honestly, our representatives who voted for this should be ashamed of themselves. But I think it's important to remember that this is not the end and that we have won this fight and we will win it again. And the optimistic side of me likes to remember that this is an extremely unifying issue. This is an issue that affects people of every demographic. Obviously, it does impact people who are low income, people of color um, more, but it, it impacts every demographic and it's something that people across the political spectrum are outraged about. And I hope that we can use that to empower people to get out and vote, to go to events like this, to volunteer, to elect new representatives, to run for office themselves. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's the most optimistic thing I can say today. 
Just as Hoosiers locally and statewide are continuing the fight for reproductive rights, state politicians such as Yoder are urging local residents to vote and make their voices heard. I know we are feeling like there's a punch in the gut to have to stand here today and come together once again. After fighting all of these years to get that right 50 years ago, and we're back where we started. But let us not fool ourselves. We are not back where we started. We know what we have to do, and we will do it. A small minority put this bill into law. A majority, and we know the majority of Hoosiers want access to abortion care. We can defeat this. Yeah. We can. There are more of us. on each of us to educate our neighbors, our family members, and yes, get them to the polls, and yes, continue to reach out to your legislators. Monroe County, I am not your only legislator in the Senate. Senator Cook also represents a portion of Monroe County. We can plea with him, write to him, demand to talk to him, and ultimately, we can choose a pro-choice, pro-reproductive freedom candidate to serve us in all of Monroe County, along with me. I need that person. We deserve that person. So remember, this is what democracy looks like, and choice is what democracy is built on. We cannot let this stand and must continue to press on and make sure that Senate Enrolled Act 1 is defeated, and we have to do that in 2024. So let's get busy, let's keep our shoes on, keep marching, keep mobilizing, and keep organizing until it's done. For WFHB News, I'm Brooklyn Lambright. Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Today's featured pet comes from our local Bloomington, Indiana animal shelter. Milliken is an Australian cattle dog, blue healer, and German shepherd mix. He's five years old and has been with the shelter for just under a year. Here's what shelter staff had to say about him. Milliken is a great dog who has been with us since September, which is something that blows our minds. Milliken loves people playing outside, rooting around in the dirt, sticking to a schedule, and giving kisses. And he is a remarkably fast learner. Luckily, Milliken has been in a foster home for a while 
but he's looking forward to meeting his forever family. If you are interested in learning more about Milliken and meeting or adopting him, please reach out to the Bloomington Shelter at 812-349-3492. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. Today's featured topic is kitten season. Did you know that spring kicks off a phenomenon known as kitten season? Maybe this is something you've heard of before, but today we're going to be diving into what it means for our home state of Indiana and why it's important to be aware of. So what exactly is kitten season? As winter draws to a close and the weather begins to warm, many unaltered female cats are in heat, leading to the biggest breeding season for cats in Indiana. What's important to remember is that kitten season is usually in line with when cats go into heat. November, December, and January are colder months, and cats usually go into heat when the weather gets nicer, making kitten season in south-central Indiana from about March until the end of October. The gestation period for cats is just 60 days, and then they give birth to a litter. A litter is the number of kittens that a female cat can have through a pregnancy. On average, a cat can have anywhere from four to eight kittens. Because a cat can have on average four to eight kittens during just one pregnancy, and a cat can be pregnant several times a year, the cat population gets bigger at a faster rate than the dog population. This is a big reason why spaying or neutering your cat is so important. Many shelters become overwhelmed with unwanted kittens during kitten season. So if you're contemplating adopting or fostering a kitten, look no further than your local animal shelter. Your local shelter may also need help with neonatal kittens. A neonatal kitten is a kitten at its tiniest, when they are newborn to about four weeks old. When a mother cat is not around or able to care for kittens, these babies require extra special round-the-clock care, which includes bottle feeding. The extra care neonatal kittens need can be an additional strain on shelters and rescues during kitten season. If you discover kittens outdoors, it can be tempting to scoop them up and bring them indoors. However, it is important to know that this is almost never in a kitten's best interest. In general, you shouldn't remove kittens younger than eight weeks old from their mother as it is harmful to their well-being. Even if you see kittens alone, it is more than likely their mother is nearby. A mother cat is kitten's best possible caregiver, so please leave them be. This best practice involves allowing the mother cat to care for her kittens in their outdoor home. Another important way to make kitten season easier for everyone is to spay and neuter indoor and outdoor cats alike. This prevents future kittens and allows cats to live healthier lives. Cats can be neutered or spayed when they're about two months old. So if you still have a small family of kittens near you and you think the babies are old enough, contact your local shelter to see if it has a trap, neuter, return, or TNR program. It can take in the cats, spay and neuter them, and return them back to their outdoor homes where they're used to living. 
A good TNR program also reduces the spread of disease as altered cats are no longer seeking out mates or fights. Shelters and cat rescues almost always need donations and foster parents during kitten season. Adopting or fostering a kitten can provide you with hours of fun and entertainment. Of course, a kitten's favorite toy is another kitten, so you may want to consider adopting a second cat. Two kittens growing up together will be well socialized and interested in exploring new things. If this route isn't for you, see if organizations in your area need supplies like litter, food, blankets and toys, and of course, monetary donations. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 